For those of you who are uh, catching up here at Grace or newer to Grace, we're in the middle of a sermon series called The Body of Christ. We're exploring the significance of this community right here in this space, in these seats right here. That, that, That God in his wisdom, when he saved us through Jesus Christ, he brought us into community that changes us and changes the world. We've been going through the past several weeks looking at how we're interconnected as a family, how, how we were born into this, and it's not an option. This isn't the YMCA. It's not the Elks Club. This is something special. We're family. We have the blood of Jesus coursing through our hearts and veins together. Last week, we looked at what's our fit in the body of Christ. You see, when God has brought us together in the body, he has gifted each of us in ways that the whole body can't accomplish its purpose unless we're all doing our part. And we looked at different ways that we're wired and we're gifted. And we unpacked that in terms of our shape, our spiritual gifts, our heart passions, our abilities, personality, and life experiences, and how that all works together. We're going to get into a little bit about that, more of that next week, of how all the parts work together, and our lives, we are each individually changed, but everybody being part of the body. Today, we're going to be talking about and exploring what's the glue? What really keeps us together? We've talked about how differences divide and and differences lead to to thinking of others have deficiency with all our differences in the body. As we have different tribes, tongues, languages, differences of life experiences and generations, how do these differences, how do all these things stay together? What is it that bonds us together as Christ's body? That's what we're going to be diving in here into here today. I I do want to back up just a moment here and comment on the spiritual gifting. It's been really exciting and encouraging for me hearing from you all of, hey, Scott, this is how I'm gifted or wired. This is my personality, or this is a way that helped me know how I can get involved that works within my time, within my heart, my passions, my abilities. It's been really exciting. This morning, we had one of our young kiddos share her gifts with us, and Mackenzie made cookies. Little Mackenzie made cookies for us. So if you see some heart Valentine-shaped cookies in there, that was one of our four-year-olds making cookies for us, doing her part, being part of the body of Christ. It's pretty awesome, right? It's a beautiful thing. I want to have you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to read the entire chapter here. This is where we're going to be today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is towards the end of your Bibles. If you want to follow along, we have Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. Or uh, if you have a Bible app, please turn there as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What holds us together? What bonds us as God's people and separates us from the rest of the world? Here we go. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. 
Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable. Some of you are already convicted. <laughs> not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray for the Spirit to work in our hearts here. Holy Spirit, we come to you and, and we, we are desperate for you to remove, Lord, our, our, our walls that we've got up, Lord, the distractions, Lord, just the, the darkness in our, in our lives or our minds and our hearts that would just keep us from not understanding or not applying Lord, we thank you for your word that you've given us, not for us to be inspired, but to change us. So Spirit, do that work this morning, that we love like this. That we would respond to your love that you've given us and be changed. How you are patient with us and kind to us. You are slow to anger with us. You are abounding in love toward us. Thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we're in 1 Corinthians here, this is part of a letter to a church, kind of like Grace here, but they are jacked up. As I've mentioned in the past here, they put the funk in dysfunction. They are messed up. And one of the primary issues is self-centered reality. Individualism. Elevating themselves above uh, each other. And it's tearing the church apart. So we come to this passage here where Paul is explaining in chapter 12, which we've recently been going through, is specifically in one way how they've been trying to set themselves apart and set them over each other is, oh, I've got this kind of gifting. I'm more important than you. The gifts of tongues or prophecy, they were, they were more highly valued by some. And they're saying, well, I'm better than you. I'm closer to Jesus than you. I'm more spiritual than you. You're, you have to become like me. There, there's no room for difference you got to be like me because I'm better. What I have is better. And Paul going through and explaining what we've talked about over the past several weeks in, in chapter 12 about how we are one body and what all that matters is that Jesus is Lord. He goes on in chapter 13 
to make it even more abundantly clear, what is it? What is it that we should care the most about? And he says at the end of chapter 12, and I will show you still the more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, most of us, when we come to chapter 13 here of 1 Corinthians, we're thinking of like weddings, right? This is where we've heard it read. Let's just be clear that this was not written for weddings, all right? This was not written for marriages, all right? The context here is churches, all right? So we've co-opted this passage and re- resigned it to these place of like wedding ceremonies and, oh, isn't that nice? It sounds so good, but it's not true. We hang it on our walls. This isn't some fairy tale, and it's not, again, resigned to some kind of special relationship. This is, this is for God's people. This should uniquely characterize us. The most excellent way for us, being God's people, his family, what sets us apart from this world is love. And as he's going to explain it, because we have experienced love himself, it's a person. So we should be set apart as God's people. And so he explains here in the first part of chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, and in the latter part, verses 8 through 13, he talks about how love is supreme. Love is more important than anything else that we focus on. If we're to be known by one thing, it's love. In the first three verses, it doesn't matter what kind of gifting you have. It doesn't matter what kind of special abilities you have. For them, again, there was speaking in tongues of prophecy. These were valued above others. It doesn't matter whether you're administrative or you're a servant and you, or you're, you're, you're one who works with your hand. Like the, your gifting isn't what's important, what's coming out of your heart towards others. It's, it doesn't matter what you sacrifice Personally, you could give your body to the flames. Those, there were, were Christians at that time, many of which were being persecuted, and they were being martyrs for the gospel. Sacrificing your life, that's good, but that doesn't make you better or right. That isn't what sets us apart. You can give all your money to the poor. You can be generous. All those other personal sacrifices you make, that's not what sets you apart. It's Love. If we don't have love, we're nothing. In verse 8, towards the end there, he reinforces this. Love never ends. Love never fails. You see, all these things that we have, these abilities in this life, they're, they're, all, they're all incomplete. Our gifts, how we use them, knowledge, prophecy, all these things that we do are incomplete because they come from us, because we are incomplete. They'll never fully hit the mark. What we do and the things in this life, because this life is incomplete. This life, this world is riddled and infected with sin. This is not our end. God is recreating uh, an eternal space for us, which is why he sent Jesus to save us from ourselves and, and hell that we deserve for eternity There's a new space coming, and it will last forever, and that space is going to be filled with one thing, love, eternal 
love with God. That, that's what heaven is, is eternal love. Love is the only thing that will last. Love is the only thing that's complete. Love is the only thing that will fulfill. We need to take note of this. What Paul is saying. Love will always hit the mark. Love will always be what is right and what is needed. Always. And as he concludes, these three remain faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. But the question is, what is love? We've got a whole lot of confusion about what is love culturally. There's a variety of songs that I was prepared to sing for you today, but I decided to refrain for, for your sake. When we think of love and how we use it within our, within our common modern cultures in this time, and every culture has different ways in which they use love and, and, and languages, language for it. In, in the English language, we use love, and we use it to mean a lot of different things. I love soccer, right? Our preferences are, 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 are things that we enjoy. We'll say it, we love it, right? When we say we really, really like something. I love my wife. That's not the same as I love soccer. It shouldn't be, right? shouldn't be. <clears throat> we have different words or different meanings, whether it's affection, whether it's uh, a, a romantic kind of love, whether it's value of something. Our English language, we, 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 we can use that one word for many things. And as a result, we can kind of reduce, we reduce the meaning of and significance of it. Other languages, I was talking with, with, with Lancho, and he shared with me that, that there's one word in Oromo for love, just one. It maintains its significance. And in, in, in Spanish, there might be a variety of different words that we use for love. Te amo, te quiero, me gusta, me encanta. There are a variety of different words that we might use. What are we, what are we getting at here? Paul is speaking of, in the Greek language, there's four Four different words used for love. Eros. Eros speaks of that romantic love. We get the word erotic from it. it. Speaks of that passionate love that God has designed as a good thing in a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Eros. Philia. We get the, the city Philadelphia from this word philia is brotherly love family love. It's a deep kind of friendship where we're bonded together, a, a, a kindred relationship that we're committed to each other. Storge, not as well known as the other loves, but, but it's this, this kind of supportive love. It's, a, it, it's I, I value the dignity that another human being has. And why I don't have a relationship 
I, I, I love them in that I value their dignity. I su- I'm supportive. I care. And then there's agape. Agape. This is unconditional love. Undeserved love. This is the love that Paul is speaking of here. Agape. Not some kind of affection. Not good feelings and good vibes. Not valuing something. Not romance. But self-sacrificing, unconditional love. And so just like today where we struggle and we need to define these things and break it down, so does Paul in verses 4 through 7 explaining what love is. Paul breaks this down in very tangible ways, in tangible terms that are lived out in our relationship with each other. And I'm going to walk through these. And I want you to take a scorecard out, okay? Pull out some paper, pull out your phone, and take a list here. And just kind of, as we walk through each of these, and you just kind of say, like, how are you doing? How are you doing on these? On a scale of 1 to 10. No, that's too complicated. Anyways. Love is... Love is patient. Love is patient means that we endure the annoyances and offenses of others without reacting in self-serving anger. It means to have a long fuse. The word in other translations you might have is love is long-suffering. Any of you guys have that in your translation? Okay, nobody's rocking the KJV anymore. All right, here we go. Long-suffering. Patience means love suffers long. Doesn't that sound exciting? Love suffers long. Man, that's great. To have a long fuse. It means that, I, that, that I, am, I withhold anger, I withhold my punishment, if you will, when it's rightly due even. Because there are sometimes people in our lives that are annoying. It's true. It could be somebody you live with or somebody you're sitting next to now or somebody on the stage at this very moment. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Love is patient. It means that I don't give in to my, my, my entitlement or my right to put this person in their place to react in self-serving anger. Patience doesn't mean we don't set boundaries. Patience patience doesn't mean that we don't discipline our children or speak to offenses. It doesn't mean that. But what it means is that we don't do so with self-serving anger. I'm going to make you hurt like you're hurting me. How are you doing? Patience. Waiting, trusting that God will justly judge and that God will provide. Love is patient. Here we go. Love is kind. Love is kind. Kindness is extending good, building somebody up. Patience withholds anger. And wrath, if you will, kindness 
builds up. They work together, hand in hand. Love is kind. It constructively responds to others for their good. Think about it this way. Kindness is in relationship to somebody, and, and, and love has in mind specifically people you don't want to love. People you want to put in their place. People who are mean, hurtful, annoying. You don't want to have anything to do with them. And so kindness... Kindness is interacting with people in such a way that they're better off when you leave them. After encountering you in a relationship with you, is somebody better off because they encountered you? Because of kindness you showed them? This may be returning evil, or excuse me, you did not hear that. Returning good for evil. Blessing someone who's cursing you. Being, giving constructive criticism to someone instead of demeaning them and putting them down and attacking them. Because we need feedback. We need to be corrected. But it can be done in kind ways that build us up, that help us grow. We give encouragement instead of gossiping, criticizing, and tearing down. When it's unexpected, unexpected, we go above and beyond and go out of our way. Even when we'll get nothing in return, kindness gives to those in need. Love is patient. Withholds anger. It's a long fuse. Love is kind. It extends good. It builds someone up. Love does not envy. Now we go into a list here of the things that love is not now. Love does not envy. This means that, that, that we're comparing ourselves with others and, and what others have. This might oftentimes be from a place of deficiency and, and, I, and I don't have quite everything I want, and I'm insecure, if you will, or I, I, I'm greedy, I want more, I'm discontent. So envy is this comparing ourselves to others in such a way that we can't celebrate with others the goodness that's happening in their life. We get frustrated, angry, or self-pity, or we might even attack or gossip about a person who's experiencing blessing rather than rejoice with them. Love rejoices in the successes of others. Love celebrates the blessings of others because it doesn't need because it's been satisfied with Jesus. Love does not envy, but love rejoices in the blessings and successes of others. Love, therefore, doesn't boast. This is kind of like the other side of the coin with envy. When, when you're insecure and, and, and you get upset or, 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 or self-pity, depressed when others have, boasting is when you have and you want to make sure other people know. Look at me. It's just drawing attention to yourself. I, I love this, this, this definition. It's to be a windbag. Doesn't that just sound great? When you're boasting, you're windbag. You're a braggart. You're puffed up. It's drawing attention to ourselves out of a place of insecurity and insufficiency 
I need others to look at me good and highly because of what I have or what I've done. And that doesn't mean that we can't celebrate when we have successes, but that looks differently. That goes to the Father. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for this this success. Thank you, Lord, because all praise and glory goes back to you because everything I have is yours, not mine. When we're secure in Christ, when we're satisfied, we're receiving his love is all that we need. We have no need to boast. We have no need to elevate ourselves. The list goes on. Love is not arrogant. Love is not arrogant. Instead, it lifts others up. See, arrogance is this looking down. It is this, it is distorting the value of a person. Because you have this, or because you are like this, because you live over here, because your skin is this color, or because you're from here, or because you wear these shoes, or because we have all these things we look down on. We've distorted the value of people and attached it to things other than you were created by God and you have value just like I do. To be arrogant is to look down on others, distort their value. We make fun of people because of their weaknesses. We point them out like, oh, you look at that person, look at how they messed up or, or how the, the way they talk or walk. Or We point out weaknesses and we devalue them. We have the sense of entitlement. I'm better and therefore I deserve to be treated differently. Therefore, we arrogant people have double standards. Right? We do this. When we're in our arrogance, we'll judge others and we'll, and we'll, 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 we'll call out their mistakes and their shortcomings, but we don't use the same ruler to judge ourselves. Arrogant people have double standards. They can be judged differently. Or, or there's, in, in arrogance, we won't associate with certain people. We're, we're not going to do community. I'm not going to go and talk with this certain person or type of people. We'll avoid in arrogance. Of course, arrogance leads to abuse and bullying, minimizing others. They're means to an end. Love is not arrogant. Love lifts others up. It sees their created value and speaks into that and it elevates them, not the self. It makes sure that others know they are their value and their worth, that you are here today and you need to hear that you have value you can't touch or change. You are created by the one true God who loves you just the way you are and you can't mess that up. There's nothing you can do to change your value. You are loved. Love is not rude. Love is not rude. Think of it like a bull in a china shop. Love, love, love is not rude. Rude means to be able to, to behave disgracefully, dis, dishonorably, indecently. This rudeness is connected with arrogance in this passage for a reason. Because, because with arrogance, we think, like, I can say whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. 
It doesn't matter the consequences. It doesn't matter how it impacts other people. People just need to get thicker skin, a bunch of pansies. They're just weak. I can say whatever I want, do whatever I want. I don't have to think about others. Oh. Love is conscientious. Love cares about the impact of its choices. Now, it may act in ways in terms of correction or confrontation, but once again, it does so in kindness in order to build that person up. Love is thoughtful, not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. This just means that love does not seek itself. The, the, the word in here, it does not insist. This is this pursuit. This is this, this word, like when we play hide and seek, you're going hunting for the person who's hiding, right? Insisting on, it's like seeking me. We go out of our way to think of me, to do what blesses me. To live for me. It's not self-seeking. Instead, it seeks the honor of the others. The honor of the, the family. To bless others. Love doesn't insist on its own way. The priority of love is focus is not me. Instead, you can go to the next slide there. Love focuses on loving God and others without neglecting oneself. It's not, it's not a, 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 a I don't matter. No, that's, that's not what love says. But I'll I'll take care of myself, but I can take care of others. That's where my focus is going to be, is on honoring God, loving God, and loving loving others. Because what are we naturally bent towards? We're just naturally self-centered, right? Just naturally, just live for me. Love is not irritable. Love is not irritable. It's not easily angered. It's not easily provoked. All right? Love doesn't wear its emotions on its sleeves. Love doesn't easily just react to the comments or looks or read into every detail of what was said by a person. And of course, reading the worst. Personalizing people's actions and comments and behaviors, even if it's intended to be about you. Love recognizes it doesn't have to be about me. I don't have to take it. Your junk doesn't have to be my junk. Love is not easily angered. Love is not irritable. It doesn't have a chip on its shoulder. What, what happens is rep, love recognizes here that, that I'm not, I don't give power over others to determine my mood. Because isn't that where some of us live? Like we give the authority to others and how they treat us to determine what our day is going to be like. We live in that space and we ride that roller coaster. We ride the roller coaster of what other people are thinking about us. We ride the roller coaster of how others treat us. We've become so in, so sensitive. You remember that game called, uh, I think, what was it? Was it, um, oh, I'm forgetting it now. Doctor, there's this little board here and you got to pull the bones out. Operation. Okay, the game. No, okay, I'm not going to go there. The operation. Operation. You try to get the little bones out, and like it's so sensitive, you touch the side and go, ah! Some of us just easily just, ah! we react. 
to other people's actions and how they treat us. And we're on edge all the time because we're not full. We're looking to get something from people they can't give us. We're acting out of wounds from our past. We're living out of that place of a deficit. And the only thing and the only person that can satisfy you and me is him. It's the cross. And so we're on edge. And some of us, it may be hormones. And I'm not just talking about ladies here, guys. You already got, you got your own man time of the month and your menopause and your whatever it may be. We got our own man cycle that we deal with and our hormones and you got your rough days and you're on edge and you just easily take it out on others too. Sometimes it's just like, we're just irritable. It's not like a trigger or anything. We're just there. Like you're responsible. Love takes responsibility for its own actions and its own responses. Love does not give control over itself to others is the essence of this. Did you hear that? Love takes responsibility for its own actions and its own responses. It does not give control over its mood, over its value to others. Love is not irritable. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't last very long in this list and I already am like on my knees and I, Jesus, I need you. Love keeps no record of wrongs. If you haven't been convicted yet, if this one doesn't just get to your heart, you're just dead, all right? You're so calloused. Because we do this. We keep a ledger. The word here is an accounting term. It means to log it down. And we have a tendency, whether we want to or not, but emotionally to put in our little ledger into our Excel spreadsheet, our spiritual spreadsheet. This person did that to me. They said that. They hurt me. And this person acted in this way. And this person harmed me. And, and we got a list in that ledger. And you know, some of you in your intimate relationships, your friendships or marriages or in your home with family, you, it doesn't get hysterical. You get historical. And you know what I mean, Right? And when a fight comes out, when a disagreement comes out, when I'm hurt, we go to the past and, oh, we got some ammunition. We got a whole ledger. And we start bringing out, this is what you did. You remember this and you do this and you are this and we do this, right? It doesn't have to be this way. Some of us are plagued by stuff that's happened to us in the past and we just can't get over it. We don't understand why. Like it keeps coming back up. That bitterness, resentment. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It's not resentful. Love is able to let go. Love is able to let go because love has received the punishment of Jesus, the work of Jesus. In that person's place. It was good enough for God. Will Jesus' payment be good enough for you? Love is not resentful. Be quick. And be aggressive. And be persistent in cleaning house, friends. Because these things just naturally accumulate like dust in our home. 
Be quick, be aggressive, be persistent in cleaning the house of your heart and forgiving. You're going to find it's going to take more than just one moment. It's going to ongoing, just practice Jesus. I forgive them like you've forgiven me. Forgiveness doesn't mean we don't have boundaries with people, especially in abusive relationships, okay? It doesn't mean we don't have boundaries. But it means we release them from punishment. We release them from holding on because forgiveness, unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment, again, if you've heard this, this metaphor before, it's like drinking poison yourself thinking somebody else is going to die. Let go of that poison, friends. We're going to move more quickly here for the last few here. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. It means that love doesn't just enjoy seeing others harmed, injustice happening against others. It doesn't enjoy seeing wrong done, and, and whether it's uh, uh, stealing or vandalism. Or There was a time in my life where my heart was so broken. I didn't even I was so blinded by my sin, I, and I participated in those things, and I celebrated those things. Love does not enjoy when others are harmed. It doesn't enjoy participating in wrongdoing. Instead, it rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in seeing other people follow and obey Christ. It rejoices when the truth is proclaimed, when they hear the good news of Jesus. There's a phrase that was taught to us at the uh, um, group home, boys and girls group home that Jane and I were worked at for a while. It was catch the kids being good. Catch them being good. And as Christians, we shouldn't be out there just focusing on, oh, look at that, they messed up, and they messed up, and they messed up. No! Love celebrates when people follow and obey. We celebrate. That's where our focus is, is on the truth. Love bears all things. It doesn't buckle under the ongoing sinfulness and ugliness of others' behavior toward us. But we bear up with it in the power of Jesus to continue to love them. Love believes all things. It, 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 it trusts. It trusts that this person was made by God in the image of God and they can change. They can't change. My belief isn't in the person. My belief is in God who changed me. Love hopes all things. Love hopes. It sees what can be. It's not an unreasoning optimism which fails to take into account reality. But like believing all things, love knows that God will triumph. His good will be accomplished. Love endures all things. Love perseveres with those who keep letting us down, who get on our nerves, who continue to oppose us or hurt us. Love perseveres in this. Gordon Fee says this. He says, love has a tenacity in the presence, buoyed by its absolute confidence in the future that enables it to live in every kind of circumstance and continually to pour itself out on behalf of others. It is tenacious. Love is tenacious. All right, that scorecard, how you doing? How you doing? What's love look like in your life? 
Now, some of you, if you've listened to this as we walk through this list here, you've had a reaction, maybe, I can't do this. I can't do this, Scott. You're tired, and you're exhausted, and you're beat down, and you're hurt. Or some of you more reasoning, you're like, logically, no one can do this. No one can. This is impossible for anybody to do this. Why is this even here? And some of you are like, yeah, I'm good. No, I'm good. Okay, we're going to pray for you, especially. The Spirit's working your lives. You're blind. But you're right. It is impossible. This is impossible. We can't do this. We cannot love on our own because we're broken. And as you probably heard in these verses, you were like, this is really describing Jesus. You see, we can't do this. We have to receive it in order to give it. It has to be given to us. It has to be poured into us in order for us to give it. And, 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 and John later explains, we love because he first loved us. This space, God's people, the church, the body of Christ is bonded together by love. The only thing that makes this work, the only thing that makes this thing different than the YMCA or Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts, whatever organizations that exist, is the love of God through Jesus Christ. That's what changes people. Otherwise, we're just another social club. Why waste our time and our money? This is impossible if we don't have a pipeline of God's love in our lives. You cannot give what you're not receiving. You won't be patient. You won't be kind. You will be envious. You will be proud and rude. It's all going to come out and it's going to be ugly. And, so, and it's going to continue. But there's hope. You can change. Because you know what changes you? Love. Today we're celebrating communion. And we're going to be receiving. Communion is about receiving this active, this active exercise that Jesus has given us to remind us to come back to the cross. To receive that forgiveness so that we can forgive others like we've been forgiven. Others who've hurt us and wounded us. So we can be patient towards others, like God is patient towards me. In, in, in taking communion this morning, we're receiving all these things that God is towards you. God is all these things towards you. He's forgiven you. He lifts you up. He doesn't look down on you. He's kind. He's going to leave you better off than you could ever imagine. He's going to change you. And he will never stop being patient with you. We need to receive that. But it's not just here in communion. It's not just on Sunday mornings, friends. We got to be receiving from Christ every day. If we're going to live it at work, in our relationships, our friendships, our marriages, with our kids, with our parents, we, we need Jesus all the time. You can just go ahead and jump to the communion slide there, Charlie. We cannot give 
what we are not receiving. When we celebrate communion and come here, the the bread representing Jesus' body broken, the cup representing Jesus' blood shed for us, these are things that are symbols. They don't change here. They're symbols, but, but there is something powerful at work here when we turn towards Christ. They're merely just bread and juice unless we turn our hearts towards Christ to receive what he did for us. Earlier in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul explains, when we come to this table, we are sharing in the work of Jesus for us. Let's share in because we need his love, his self-sacrifice and his body. He took hell for you and me. Eternity in hell for you and me. We don't deserve that. And not just that, but he's welcomed you into, into eternal love in heaven. We gotta receive that. We need to, we want to share in that work for us. We share in the blood, he's forgiven. He's cleansed you and washed you. When we share in the body, one thing that we share in uniquely is the scriptures say, we share in, we we commit to, I'm gonna love this family like you loved me. When I share in the body of Jesus, I share in the church. If I'm going to receive from Jesus, I'm going to commit to loving his people. So as we go into communion here, in the, we're going to take the bread here first. And some of our leaders are going to pass this out. And you don't need to be a member here at Grace to participate. You just need to be a member of Jesus' family. Have you surrendered and received Jesus Christ? Come to the table. Come. If you haven't received Christ, now's the time. Come to the table. Receive him. Surrender to him. But as the bread is passed out, we're going to watch a video here of the crucifixion of Jesus, of his body being broken for you and me. And it's going to be graphic. As we receive, he did this for you. He laid down his life for you. And I just wanted to invite you to let the horror and the pain of it sink in of his love for you that he took for you.